From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. So let's talk about achieving a more equitable society with somebody who's been uh, all in on this for a long time and uh, as a rich person has begged us to tax him, Nick Hanauer. I can describe you, I guess, as an entrepreneur, investor, social reformer, um, one of the moving forces behind the $15 minimum wage. So what's your current recommendation for trying to uh, make sure that, for example, to take the current uh, Black Lives Matter protests, to create more wealth for black families? Creating more wealth for black families, creating more wealth for anyone who's been left behind by the last 40 years of neoliberalism comes down to really two simple things. The first is requiring businesses to pay people enough to live in economic security and dignity. And the second thing is asking the wealthiest citizens and the biggest corporations to pay their fair share of tax to both lower the tax burden on working and middle class people and to provide the revenues necessary to make the investments that make the society go. Uh, it's not very complicated. And there are no uh, there are, are no existence proofs on Earth of any alternative strategy <laughs> that leads to a stable and secure middle class and a functioning democracy. Uh, so, yeah, that's my crazy idea. Okay, but your idea goes <laughs> – I don't know if it's so crazy. It, it goes – your idea goes beyond that, though, at least from, from what I've heard, heard you say. You've pointed out that by – well, in, in the minimum wage case, for example, it didn't kill businesses. In fact, you you argue that by paying employees more fairly, those restaurant employees could themselves go out and eat, and so you built the customer base. In other words, what you're saying is doing the right thing is also good for the corporations themselves. And that tells yeah. me you, you shouldn't have to force them to do it. Why don't they just do it voluntarily then? Yeah, so you make a great point, but let me answer it in two parts. The first is – your characterization of my assertion that raising wages and getting rich people to pay more taxes isn't just a moral thing to do, but in fact is the right thing to do for the economy if you want it to grow faster. So that is correct. Now, Americans have been sort of brainwashed by 40 years of trickle-down economics and neoliberalism into believing that the richer job creators and the less tax they pay, the better off everyone will be. And if you raise wages, it will kill jobs and all this other nonsense. None of the, those claims have a shred of empirical evidence. It's just that all these ideas are simply just a protection racket for rich people. In fact, when you pay workers more, they buy more stuff and businesses then hire more workers and pay more taxes and everybody is better off. The voluntary part, that is more complex um, and speaks to just the dynamics of human social systems and, and societies. And the, the truth is that human societies, any large group of people, will be filled with free riders, right? People who want the benefits of the society but don't want to pay the costs. Mm -hmm. And virtually every business person I know shares the same fantasy. I call it a, you know, a, an economic fantasy, which is that they will pay their workers poverty wages and have very high profit margins and profits. 
But all the other business people will pay their workers lots of money so their workers can buy stuff from your company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and their workers will pay taxes into the system and sadly your workers will be too poor to pay taxes into the system and will actually need food stamps and other rent assistance that the wealth of the other workers will pay for. Look, Walmart has that deal today. Yeah. Right? The, it, yes. Starbucks has that deal. Lots and lots of low oh, wage. I, th- I, I, I think Howard Schultz would dispute you on that. I think he believes I, he I, treats his workers very well, provides education, he, all the rest. He, he treats his workers incrementally better than some of the most exploitive employers in the country. But it is simply untrue that he pays his workers enough to lead dignified middle class lives. And there's no earthly reason why he couldn't if everyone else did too. It is not realistic and it is not fair to ask Howard Schultz to unilaterally pay his workers. So this is like a four-way stop. You first, you first, you first. It, 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 exactly. And it, it just doesn't work, right? And and Dave, there are no examples, again, in the world where a high-functioning democracy operated you know, on the basis of you know, a few good people doing the right thing. Every society needs standards to make sure that the worst actors are at you know uh, you right. know at a baseline level and that's why that's why standards like the $15 minimum wage are so important it, is it it requires businesses to compete not by exploiting people but on the basis of quality and service and all sorts of other things like that okay but you could create a an association of the billionaire super friends where you got together and by mutual agreement went ahead and set a standard that you all all followed and with yeah, the provision that, you know, either we all do it or none of us do it. You don't think anything like that? You don't think that would work, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm in that club. And let me just tell you, it's not going to happen. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just like, because this is a group of people who mostly doesn't care about other people. No. I mean, just. Be really, really clear. Well, why or, are you? Why, why are you so different? And so I, 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 I just first of all, I don't want to find out after doing this interview that you are not paying your workers fairly. So I'm going to assume that you're, you are living out your your own principles here. Yeah, it, but you've it, prospered I, pretty well living them I, out. I, why I, wouldn't it, everybody else have the same experience? Yeah, but I, I, I just want I just want to stop on that because I, I don't want people to come away from this interview thinking that I am claiming moral superiority here. Now, in fact, in, in, in my present circumstances, I pay no workers uh, unfairly. Mm-hmm. But my family used to own a manufacturing company that made home furnishings called Pacific Coast Feather Company. Right. And we, in fact, did not pay all our workers enough to lead dignified lives because none of our competitors did either. We operated in low-wage states and certainly didn't pay a minimum wage of $15 an hour because our direct competitors were across the street paying $7.25. And to do so would have bankrupted the company, which is why it is so essential to impose these standards. Because here's the thing, Dave. We, we, we made bed pillows. And the great thing about being in the pillow business is, is everybody in the country wants a pillow. But if – a huge proportion of people only earn $7.25. I can guarantee you they're not buying a new pillow every year. Yeah, <laughs> at least until the My Pillow it. guy came along and changed the whole industry. <laughs> but, it, you know, if everyone earned $15 an hour at a minimum, 
I guarantee you the number of pillows sold in the country would go up enormously because so many more people could afford it. But wouldn't the price of the pillow go up too? Of course it would. But the proportion of labor in a pillow is is 10%. Yeah. Let's say you – and this is true, of course, in the restaurant business and in the retail business and everywhere else. Let's say we doubled wages we were paying our low-wage workers in the pillow business from 7.5 to 15. And the pillow was a $20 retail. It would now be $21 or something like that. Mm -hmm. But all of the workers would earn twice as much. That's a great trade. But everybody can't earn twice as much. And and still have everything be the same. Can they? Is there any society that's doing that where you can pay no, work? No, no. I'm by no means um, asserting that everyone should earn t- twice as much. But I am asserting that the median worker in America should earn twice as much. Okay, where it does that money fact, come from then? And, and so where does the money to pay them comes out come of, from? Comes, it comes from me. It comes it's from you. Bezos. Okay. Yes. So you yeah. just have to pay you. But but I, I, but I keep hearing I keep hearing mostly on conservative talk shows that you could you could confiscate the entire wealth of everybody in the upper you're in like the one point one percent uh, category now. Point oh oh one percent. Point oh oh one percent. So you're up there in the billionaire category. Here's the you, you could confiscate all your wealth and redistribute it and, it and and it still wouldn't solve the poverty problem in this country. Yeah. And that is only partially true. So Here's the good news. You don't have to confiscate the wealth. All you have to do is require people to pay people fairly. Mm -hmm. So look, Jeff Bezos is worth $100 billion or something like that. If Amazon was required to pay every worker enough to get by without food stamps and Medicaid, Jeff Bezos would almost certainly be still be the richest man in America. Mm -hmm. But instead of having $100 billion, he'd have $10 billion. And everyone else in the society would be better off. Okay. So, so let me let me just share a fact with you that I think you'll find very interesting is the median full time worker in America earns about fifty thousand dollars per year today. Yeah. If that worker had fully participated in GDP growth over the last forty years, if they had simply got continued to get the same share of GDP that they got in 1980, that worker would earn $94,000. GDP in our country has risen every year for the last 40, 50, 60, 100 years. The problem we have is that the only people who have benefited from that economic growth over the last 40 have been the top 1%. The bottom 90% of workers have been entirely excluded from the benefits of economic growth. And, and that is the problem. And so the rich get ever richer and everyone else falls farther behind. And the difference yes. between 50000 and 94000 is why everyone in our country is so p- off. Yes, but apparently not p- off enough, for example, to unionize. Wouldn't that be a way of forcing the, the fat cats to pay more? Sure. And, and if we changed our labor laws to make unionization possible – that p- might be able to happen. But also, I mean, be clear, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in unions, but they are a tremendous – the American incarnation of them, Dave, is a very, very imperfect structure because – and the Germans and lots of other people do it much, much better – is that workplace organizing is extremely inefficient. It's very clunky and there's a lot of stuff about that that structure 
which is unfriendly to innovation, unfriendly to flexibility, unfriendly to common sense, but mostly is unfriendly to the economy overall because if one company in an industry gets unionized and the other ones don't, that company is existentially threatened because they pay more they, they, they pay uh, their workers more. So every if country has to have a union. Every company has right. to have a union then. Exactly. Yeah. If you unionized entire sectors, then that problem goes away. And you can think of the fifteen dollar minimum wage imposed nationally as a national union for uh, low wage workers. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what that is. Is simply all of those workers getting together and saying, hey, the the new low standard for paying people would be 15. And it, it, to my mind, that's just a much more efficient, effective way to, to um, structure the economy so workers get a fair. OK, so that guarantees every worker some power to negotiate. And by the and, way, and, though, if, if Jeff Bezos was paying more and, there, and therefore was only worth, uh, uh, what would you say, $10 billion instead of $100 billion or whatever it is, yeah. that means his stock is only worth $10 billion. That means it wouldn't have grown nearly as fast. That means it wouldn't have attracted all that, that incoming investment, which he's been using to finance the company because he doesn't make a profit, right? No, the co- I mean, the company would be just as big. <laughs> But it would be making a profit, or it'd be losing no, it could, even no, no, more no. than now. I mean, how does he no. finance all this expansion? Oh, unless the, his stock the, price grows. The, so the dirty secret of Amazon.com is that he doesn't have to finance the expansion really, because um, his customers pay him sixty days before his vendors do. <laughs> so he so lives the off the float. Better cash flow is. <laughs> this is the great thing about that business model. You may not recall, but I was the first. Yes, I do. no, I recall in. that. So yes, I understand a lot about this business. <laughs> so every business can work that way, huh? No, no. Sadly, sadly, only businesses structured like Amazon can. Again, in the pillow business, our customers paid us sixty days after we had to pay yeah. our vendors. So that's the key then to any any successful business model. Get them get your customers to pay you before you have to pay any expenses. Yeah. It's a it's a beautiful thing if you can do it. Yeah. But anyway, I mean the you know the problem is is that in our country is that over the last 40 years, if you add it all up, about 2.5 trillion dollars per year, a little bit more than 10% of our GDP has been redistributed upwards from the bottom 90% to the top 1%. And that $2.5 trillion is what provided economic security and a reasonable tax base for the country. And so at the same time, you had the effective tax rates on big corporations and on rich people fall dramatically, right? Like rich people actually in this country used to pay a lot of tax. They were yes. paying yes. in the range of 50%, you know. Um, well, the incremental exactly. marginal rate at one point was 90%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And big, and you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the 50s and 60s, the effective tax rate for businesses was like 45% for yeah. big companies. Today it's 15 or something like that. So if you do two things, if you freeze the wages for ordinary working people for 40 years, you push all of the income to the top, and then you dramatically cut the tax rates that rich people pay, well, guess what? The wheels fall off. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. That's supposed to create even more jobs. jobs. Yeah. That's what we were told (laughs) anyway. Exactly. Exactly. And all of that. And it would be if it wasn't for that, that stupid virus. 
Exactly. All of that is nonsense. The true job creators in any market economy are, you know, middle class consumers. Mm -hmm. The more money they have, the more stuff they buy and the more jobs that, that are created. Look, you can have an infinite amount. There's a reason that Amazon didn't start in, in the Congo, right? There are no customers there. Yeah. There's no uh, McKinsey consulting office in the Congo. There are no people to sell to. So, the, you know, the secret to building a, a, a dynamic, fast-growing market economy, capitalist economy, is to make sure that everybody is paid well enough to buy a lot of stuff. Okay. Now, you've been preaching this for years, but you, and you've gotten Democrats. I mean, Democrats love you. But yes. if, if, if you're trying to sell this to Republicans, what would you tell them? Well, I mean, you know, look, th there are some people who you cannot reach – like the, the Chamber of Commerce is not going to wake up one day, look at the data and, and all of a sudden announce, oh, my gosh, we have been wrong all these years. Raising wages doesn't kill jobs and stop saying that. They don't say raising wages kills jobs because it's true. They say raising wages kills jobs because it's the most effective way they have ever found to keep wages low and profits high. And if your only objective is to enrich yourself – you are unlikely to be persuaded by evidence uh, that contravenes uh, policies mm -hmm. that benefit you. And, and you know, like so I talk to lots of people who may understand the economics. They don't just, they just don't give a rip. Well, but wait, but wait a second. I mean, if we're talking about – I think it depends on what size of business we're talking about. So I know a number of small business owners who, when times were tough, they stopped paying themselves in order to do right by their employees. I mean, at, right. at considerable sacrifice. So these are not – these are not – bad people. But if you tell a small business that has very little uh, macroeconomic power, suddenly you've got to, you know, what, double or add 50 percent of the wages of, of my people, uh, of their people, they're going to say, there's my profit forever. I never get yes. it back. So there's a couple of things I think that are really worth zooming in on there. The, the first is, if you run a business, it is super easy to instantaneously calculate both the costs and the risks of paying your workers a lot more money. Right? You can do that math on the back of your uh, an envelope. What is impossible to model in your head or to have any confidence in is what your business will be like if everybody in your community all of a sudden did that. I see. So it gets and back so to that. There's got to be a rule people, that everyone follows. Of, that's right. People of goodwill <laughs> – Look at a big uh, wage increase and freak out for mm -hmm. all sorts of reasonable reasons because they can see the risks but not the benefits. So you're saying they have to and trust yet, a gov the they have to trust the government to pass rules, which if everybody follows them and they'll have to because they'd be the rules yeah. that they will in fact prosper. Correct, and in fact, if you look at the evidence, what you find is that high wage places are prosperous places. You know, there's a reason that there are more restaurants per capita in Seattle and San Francisco, <laughs> high wage places, than there is in rural Alabama, because there, there there's nobody there with any money. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have more fast food restaurants in Seattle paying 15 per capita than poorer cities paying less wages, and so all of uh, you know, look, uh, m you know, my friend Tom Douglas said that when we passed a $15 minimum wage, he would have to close half his restaurants. What did he do? He doubled the number of restaurants that he owned. 
I mean, you know, I mean, you may remember this 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 controversy from 2014. The conventional wisdom was that Seattle was going to slide into the ocean and all the restaurants. Were <laughs> yes. It, it, clearly, the opposite happened the, the last three months, notwithstanding. So I am very sympathetic to the emotions of small business people around these issues. I, I totally I, I sympathize with it greatly. They're just factually wrong. Now, now, let me just point out that there may indeed be business models which are predicated on exploiting people, and some of those business models may have to go away. But here's the great thing about capitalism is someone will figure it out. I guarantee you we will not run out of hamburgers <laughs> if wages go up. Now, McDonald's may not be able to figure out how to make a hamburger and pay people adequately, but some brilliant entrepreneur will figure out how to make hamburgers and still make money uh, if wages are higher. Um, but the deeper issue here that you're pointing to, Dave, and I think it's super important in the context of how we think about the, uh, the economy, is that the other thing that happened over the last 40 years as the rich were getting richer and everyone else was getting poorer is the same group of people who suppressed wages and cut taxes for rich people also passed laws and changed norms around corporate consolidation. And today, the, so the enemy of small business isn't higher wages or, or regulation. The enemy of small business is big business. Using exploitive, exploitive tactics and scale economies to drive small and medium-sized businesses out of business. You mean like Amazon? That's, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yes. And yes, I am guilty of that. Okay. I am. I acknowledge hypocrite. Okay. But the truth is that we should uh, – another super important effort, and, and it is unfolding right now because a lot of people are on this, is to tilt the playing field back towards small and medium-sized businesses, towards regional businesses, and away from these giant exploitive players. Because the truth is that letting all this consolidation happens doesn't benefit workers. It doesn't benefit consumers. It doesn't benefit uh, communities. Uh, it, it actually doesn't result in lower prices. All it does is make a few rich people richer in big cities. Look, you, you, you remember we there used to be a dozen regional uh, retailers. Yeah. Dozens. Every company you dealt with was headquartered here in the Northwest all those companies are gone except for Microsoft and Starbucks, right? And we're happy that Amazon is here, of course, but it, the world would be better if our economy was dominated by small and medium-sized companies, not big ones. And so if it was me, if I was in charge, I would apply all of these wage standards progressively. I would hold the biggest companies to the highest standard and smaller businesses to a lower standard because I want small businesses to actually have a competitive advantage over the big biggest businesses because our society will be more stable, more secure, and more prosperous if it's dominated by smaller players. Entrepreneur, investor, and think tank funder, Nick Hanauer. Nick, thank you. I am delighted to get to talk to you, Dave. Thank you for having me. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And 
you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's morning news, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's morning news. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.